He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Figo. And then Ronaldo! Here comes Eddie. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help. How about that? Portugal. And tonight they've been simply magnificent. Champions of Europe 2016. Hello and welcome to episode number six of the Portuguese Football Show, brought to you by Prosima Jornada. I am your host, Adam Barton, as usual, and I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Philippe Mello. Philippe, how's things? Uh, hello, bro. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Yeah, always good. Always good. These episodes seem to be getting later and later uh, through the week. This one's coming out on Wednesday. Initially started coming out on Monday, but so much football to digest. Uh, so it should be another good episode this week, covering, obviously, the Premier League. And we'll be talking about the Portuguese abroad. And I believe Philippe has got a new game which he wants to bring to this week's episode. Yes, but I'll, I'll keep it at the end. The good <laughs> stuff at the end. Otherwise, keep... people turn it off straight away. <laughs> You're going to keep it as a secret to the end? Yeah. Okay, no problem. And to kick off our Premier League roundup, we start with a game with two teams at the top of the table, Sporting in first place, um, seem to be running away with the uh, league, currently still unbeaten, 21 games without losing. And you had third place Porto come into the game in terms of what it meant for both sides. It ended up finishing uh, in a nil-nil draw. A result that before the game, I think Ruben Amarim and the players would have uh, snapped your hand off for. Overall, as a game, Porto recorded 14 shots to Sporting's four. Sergio uh, Conceição's men had more of the ball, 55%. They had a better pass accuracy. Uh, they won more aerial duels. They had more corners. They had three. Sporting had just the one corner uh, throughout the game. But to be honest, I think it was a game... It was very well played by Ruben Amarim in terms of... He knew going there, a point would have would have done, would have sufficed... Uh, no goals conceded, away from home at the Estadio do Dragao to a title rival. And in terms of what a loss could have meant, not just in the table, because it still would have meant they had a seven-point buffer at the top, but in terms of mentally, what that first loss... We spoke a couple of weeks ago about what that first loss could mean in the Liga. Uh, it's yet to come. I think going there with a game plan to defend well, to absorb pressure to try and play when they could. But most importantly, just to not lose. And I think they deserve credit for that. If you can go and do what's needed, you don't always have to play beautiful football. It doesn't always have to be the most aesthetically pleasing. It's it's about your functionality. It's about efficiency. Can you go and can you keep a clean sheet at a title rival? Uh, a club who... Historically, who were known for winning titles, especially in recent years, a team who've been there and done that, a team who've got arguably a deeper squad. You know, this is a team who've who've just in Porto, who've just beaten Juventus in the in the Champions League, and Sporting went there, they did a job, and they walked away, 
yeah, I just think it was a thoroughly professional display. It'd be frustrating from Porto's perspective, and you could see that on the faces and some of the comments from the players at the end of the game. Sergio Oliveira was very frustrated after it, and I think you could see that. Medi Taremi had a couple of chances. One of them was a really big chance, and you think on another day he scores it, but as I say, ultimately the game's ended nil-nil. Philippe, just your perspective on the game and, and also the ramifications uh, on, on the result itself. About the game, I think there's one sentence that for me says everything, which is Porto was better, but Sporting never looked under the cosh. So in any moment, I was watching the game and there was a long period of time that I thought, okay, Porto is completely over Sporting right now. Sporting always looked very, very comfortable. And then you're right, there's people saying that the game, yes, the game was not the, the best game of football, but Sporting played with the 10 points they have in hand. They knew if they went then they would lose the game. Porto would have a big momentum for the rest of the, the league. And Sporting just needed a point to keep them uh, with the 10 points gap. So in terms of, of, of how the expectations people had, I honestly was not expecting nothing else but what actually happened. As you say, the expectations, and I think... I'm not wrong in saying that that results beforehand. Uh, I mentioned about Amarim would have, you know, would have bit your hand off for that. And I think a lot of the supporters would have been the same. Obviously, you'll have a, a section of the fan base that will want the team to go out and and absolutely, you know, blitz the opposition and really put a marker down. But it, it wasn't necessary. That, that, that wasn't needed. So why put yourself under unnecessary danger to go out and play with a bit more attacking intent and then leave yourself vulnerable for, for, for the Porto attack. It just wasn't necessary. As you say, I think they went there and did exactly what they needed to to do. And again, I think I expected that game. I expected what happened and how it played out. It's looking very, very, very promising for Sporting who look to, be, who look to deliver um, their first title to their fans since the early 2000s. So... Still unbeaten. We, as I say, I mentioned before, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Philippe about what a defeat would mean, and I think I remember us saying, you know, a defeat will come this season. A defeat will come, and at that time, I think we were maybe fifteen or sixteen games in at this point when we first. I think it might have been the first or the second podcast, and what it would mean when it did come. And I, I'm looking at it now, and I'm thinking. Well, 21 games in, 17 wins, 4 draws and 0 losses. I'm not so sure this defeat will come, you know. Because the, the honestly, the more the more and more I see, and I know I'm friends with a lot of Sporting Easters, and a lot of them have still got that mentality, that attitude of it's, they've been close in the past. And I think that sort of attitude always stays with you. Where it's like that pessimism to think, you know, no. I, so many Sporting Easters have said to me, if any club can find a way to to mess this up, Sporting could do it, and and that, I think that is just that ingrained pessimism. But from a from a neutral, which I, I am, from someone on the outside looking in, I'm able to sort of put a bit of a neutral, non-biased spin on it. And I've I've said to to a couple of my mates, this is this feels different. I don't know what it is. I feel like it's it's Sporting's ability to go and get results and grind out results and just not do anything stupid, not put themselves under unnecessary pressure just for the sake of it. And they remain concentrated even when 
we spoke about those games when the conditions weren't the greatest, especially in those games when they went to the islands, and they couldn't play this fluid electric football with, um, you know, pressing high up the pitch and overloading wing backs and just play this scintillating football. They just went there. They got the result. They got the job done. They got back on the coach and went home. And and I yeah. think this this I don't know. It just feels a little bit different to me. But again, that could just be me. What do you think? I think is during all this season, it looks like Sporting sees the game, has a game plan, does it, and that's it. Next game, they play in a different way, and they have a get that game plan. They go and they play exactly to those points. And and on on Saturday was was it the same thing? They knew they had ten points. They knew it was important not to lose the game. More than winning was making sure they would not lose the game, and it was to see how Porto would be able or not to break them down. And for me, what what surprised me was, first one thing, I, I, I was surprised, to be honest, by the fact that Porto played in their normal way. So if you think about the game, uh, when was Sporting against Sport for the league, Porto playing there like 4-2-3-1. Then for the Tasa de Liga, they play in a 3-4-3 to match Sporting. This one, they went back to their normal way of playing. Uh, in Porto, I like the way they try to press height. I the, I think they work well down the right-hand side. I think Nuno Mench, we could see that Nuno Mench still needs to improve uh, because obviously Manafá especially was, was a big threat because Nuno Sanchez didn't follow him, which ended up having a 2v1 uh, between Corona and Manafá against Nuno Mench, which I think Sporting, especially in the beginning was was hard to 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 be able to to be safe because Manafar still had a dangerous shot in the in the first half i i could see some some good things that Porto did for the game so how they start playing from the, from the back and their movement because obviously the midfield of sporting their people uh, and well praised a lot between Palini and Jomari I enjoy their Otavio again, like we spoke last week. I think Otavio is the, for me the most important player in this team because he's the one that makes everything tick, and the movement of him dropping in the middle to pick up the ball from the centre backs, and actually Ribi uh, going out, which meant for uh, between especially the last 15 minutes of the first half, where sometimes Romai would follow Ribi and Otavio would have lots of space. I think that was that was good from Porto. But then in the second half, to be honest, apart from Taremi chance where he misses the ball, and for people that remember, it looked like Brian Ruiz against Benfica a few years ago. Um, apart from that, they struggle. And what disappointed me the most, and I would like to know your opinion, was how late Sergio Conceição changed the team. So I think it was around 75, 76 minutes where he put Luis Diaz and Chico into the game and he moved Corona almost to a to a full back. And for me felt first why are you doing both of them at the same time? Why not putting Luis Diaz at sixty minutes and then later Chico? But why so late? Even though obviously he didn't want to lose the game and I think it was after those changes they lost the control of the game a bit. But I still think in a game that from in my view Porto had to win. Why did he change so late? That would be my big frustration from from Porto. Yeah, and why he was sort of reactive and not proactive in his changes because the first, I think, the first substitution came after 
Sporting were the ones who were like Ruben Amorim was the one who was making the changes. Yes. Ruben Amorim, the first one is Nuno Santos. Yeah, Nuno Santos and for for Mateus Nunes. Mm-hmm. Thiago Tomas for Bruno Tabata on the seventy eight, minutes. Yeah, seventy minutes. And then, and then only then, after that is the Porto changes and seventy-two. Yeah, and actually, sorry, it was seventy-eight when he brings on Luis Diaz and, and Conceição. Yeah, it was about yeah, it was about ten minutes, minutes to, to go. Yeah, twelve minutes yeah. to go. But the, he made the sub before it. Evan Nielsen came on for Marega. Why you wait until I I fully agree with you and Mateus Nunes came on sixty four minutes, uh, and then Bruno Tabata come on. So, Ruben Amorim sort of looking at the game with with half an hour to go and thinking, uh, sorry, twenty five minutes to go, and and adapting and changing and putting fresh legs on the field. And then she say very reactive. I think Chico and and Luis Diaz coming on with ten twelve minutes to go. It's it's not giving them enough time to to get on there and, re- and make a real impact. And especially because what 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 they've seen recently with Chico as well is when he's came on, he has looked dangerous. And obviously he won, won those two penalties. But I don't know why he, he didn't decide to go earlier. I agree with you there. And and to be honest, only Contessao will know. And, and another question is, what was the point of both subs? So like I look at the changes that Ruben Amorim made. And I can see why. So I can see why he put Mateus Nunes for Nunes Sanchez. Nunes Sanchez wasn't defending very well. He believes that he wants to have a bit more ball and ability of driving the ball forward because Nunes Sanchez is a, a player that grabs the ball into the space. Mateus Nunes is able, like we saw in the probably the, the chance, well, not probably for sure, the chance where Sporting create the most danger would be driving with the ball. So I can see he wants to have the ball, be solid, having an extra centimetre to try to keep the ball, but more important, when Porto goes up, to drive the ball into the space. Then with Bruno Tabata, I can see a, a manager that wants to try to keep the ball, take the ball from Porto. When Conceição takes Marega to Evanilson, I, I might not agree, but I understand, which is, okay, there's no spacing behind, like we spoke last week, Marega, when there's no spacing behind, is, is an effective. Evanilson likes to have the ball come short, okay, but then if you put Shiku, which is this, the player that wants to have the ball as well, you need to create space for him. And with Vanil, Vanilson dropping and Shiku coming inside, there's two players taking the same area. So it, it doesn't make sense how, how you're going to change the picture of the three centre-backs if you're adding up players in the same area. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say, but yeah, yeah, I, don't, you're effectively, I don't see the point you're of changing the game. So yeah. light with players similar. Yeah, it needs to be about asking different questions, not asking the same thing over and over again. If a team is defending well, no, great point to be honest. I think the substitutes, um, very frustrating. It was a very frustrating night for Porto, and you, as I said, you could see that. You could see that in press um, flash interview after the game, and yeah, even Sergio Conceição is is um, his post match press conference. He, he was very frustrated, but. He was frustrated because Sporting went there with the game plan and they executed it to perfection and then they walked away with a clean sheet and a point and they're nine points clear at the top. So, uh, is it nine or ten? Oh, and it's nine, well, ten above Porto. Yeah, ten, and Porto, nine, nine Braga. Yeah, and that, that takes us on actually to um, another professional display. Um, Braga is the, the, the game I want to talk about next. In terms of what we said then about Sporting going with the game plan, um, Braga did the same thing. They went to Madeira to play Nacional, and they scored 
uh, two goals inside half an hour. Francesio after 25 minutes and Abel Ruiz after 29 uh, from um, some awful, awful mistakes. But the main thing for Carlos Carvajal was going into that 2-0 lead. And I think, again, they went there with a job to do. They conceded. Um, Brian Riasco scored after 69 minutes. But they looked just in total control, to be honest, for the entire game. And I think they've overtaken Porto in the table. And I just wanted to ask a question and get your verdict on it. Again, just to go through some of the stats, Braga dominated dominated the ball. And Nacional had just 37% possession. Um, Braga, they passed the ball well. They tackled well. Um, 15 attempts on goal as well. Uh, so I think... It was a thoroughly, thoroughly professional performance. They'll be disappointed to have conceded that goal as well, and you know that will have frustrated Carlos Cavajal to, to uh, not walk away with a clean sheet. But just in terms of the overall picture for Braga, they've been, they had a bit of uh, misfortune in, in Europa League and ultimately just came up against the superior opponents, which you can't really argue with. Uh, so they're out of Europe. They haven't got that to contend with for the rest of the season. 21 games in. Um, their recent form, the last six games in the league, reads uh, win, win, draw, win, win, win. So they're putting together some, some really good form. Do you see them um, being a serious contender for that second place this season? I'm not saying in any shape, form or fashion that they'll go for the title because I've already said my my piece on that. I think Sporting will be the Premier League title winners this season. I think, for me, it's done. Um, In terms of that second place, which is an automatic group stage Champions League qualification spot, third place is the qualifier, which, to be honest, no team will really want to be in the third place because although it is... The lore of the Champions League, the second that second place guaranteeing you there, and we know what can happen to teams when they play a Champions League qualifier, and they your season sort of rests on a game that happens before the season even really starts. Uh, we saw it happen with Benfica this season. It can impact you massively, especially if you've spent money in preparation for playing in the Champions League. But in terms of not to go off t- on a tangent, but in terms of Braga, do you see them sustaining this type of form? Um, 15 games won, one draw, lost five. So they've, they've won two more games than Porto. Obviously, they've only drawn once. They lose a lot more than anyone else, really, in the top five. Um, they've lost more than Sporting Porto, Benfica. The same amount as Passos de Ferreira. Um, but in terms of, do you, th- do you see them sustaining this? And do you think they're a serious contender for that second spot? Yeah, for sure. I honestly think Porto, Benfica and Braga, and now until the end of the season, their performances on all three of them will improve. Because obviously Benfica and Braga are out of Europe. By the way, I think Braga thought in a very rational way the second leg against Roma, which is changing loads of players to make sure they were 100% fit for this game. And obviously uh, midweek against uh, Porto for the for the Taça de Portugal, so I absolutely think they are able to keep this form. And the most important thing will be obviously they have next week big game against Guimarães, uh, the biggest derby uh, for them. And then I think two games after they will play against Benfica. So I think a lot of their season will depend on these on these two games because if they're able to beat Guimarães and then able to 
especially after beat Benfica, then the difference for Benfica will be seven points, which will make uh, them clearly at least for the third for the third place. In terms of this game against Nacional, there was two mistakes of the Nacional goalkeeper, but it, the first half could have been finishing four or five nil because Abel Ruiz has a one in the post in the first minute, uh, one where Rui Correa is able to clear the ball uh, in the line. So the first half was very, very easy for Braga. And uh, especially there's the midfield of, for me, the, the two midfield players that played for Braga are the ones that work the best together, which is Almusrati and Francergio. Francergio been lately play a bit more forward, but in the last few games he's been playing in the centre mid and those two together work for me perfectly. And in the second half, it's just like you said, they just keep it calm. Even when they consider something that I like, that Braga does, and that's why I think they're going to keep this, this good form, which is when they understand that the game is not theirs anymore, like happened last week against Santa Clara and then uh, this week against Nacional, they understand that the game is not is not theirs in terms of controlling the game, but they understand that we can put this game in a freezer and, and stop from playing and just completely kill the, the momentum of the game, not by being on the floor all the time, but by keeping the ball, making sure they have patience. And, and yeah, so it, it was, at the end, was looks a, a hard win because only by one goal, but could have been uh, three or four, especially because the first half was, was amazing. So dominant, weren't they? You see that in the, in the statistics and uh, in terms of just the goal attempts. And as you say, knowing when the right time is to, to say, right, this is where, you know, we change it up a little bit, keep the ball uh, and just be professional. And, and that's what we've come to expect from Praga, to be honest. And on top of that, they play, uh, when they're on it, they play such fluid football. Uh, we've spoke about it time and time again on this podcast. Just in terms of the upcoming games, I'm actually just looking at a graphic for, it's got Braga and Porto's upcoming games. And you mentioned there, Vitoria, and then they've got Fimilacau, Benfica, Ferenc away, which will be difficult. Uh, and then they have another like little group of fixtures uh, a couple of weeks after, which is Chriouav, Bovista, Sporting, Maritimo away, and then Passos to Ferreira. Uh, so uh, there's, there's some difficult fixtures to come there. And I say I'm very, very intrigued, to be honest, going into this last... Um, I keep saying the last couple of weeks it feels like the season's coming to a close already <laughs> um, we still so much football yet to play but because the games are coming thick and fast it's it's um, yeah it should make for exciting watching exciting listening exciting viewing and then Porto their next couple of games Gil Vicente Passos which will obviously be a difficult game Porto Manense Santa Clara Tondela Nacional so if you're looking at those fixtures maybe those next five fixtures compared to Braga's Braga have the harder running um, but then it all sort of evens itself out because then Porto have got to play uh, Vitoria that's a home Fumilical Benfica Ferenc uh, Chrioav which is never an easy game so yeah really looking forward to it to be honest yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see if Braga qualify for the Champions League in the group stage, um, that'll be it'll be very interesting for people outside of Portugal to see as well, and um, because I know yeah, a lot I think of they, yeah they've only been in Champions League twice. That play style, and then I know a lot of people in England pay attention to Braga as well, especially those f- um, Sheffield Wednesday supporters who still absolutely 
love Carlos Carvajal. You can you see that on Twitter. They, yeah, and he's on vocal supporting them as well. Yeah, he is. He, he recently posted something about yeah this he weekend. Changed the manager, didn't he? And he said we need to stick together and stuff. You can tell. And all of the replies are constantly just come home, come home, come home. So, um, <laughs> yeah, they, they, it's good to, to see that he's had a lasting impact. But, again, I think it'd be very interesting to see them um, in in Europe's Premier Club competition. Uh, and as you say, they've got they've got a, a couple of nice stories whenever they play in Europe as well, Braga. Um, yeah, and, and they have, how great will be for the third time they got the Champions League and I think will be the first one if they finish second they go direct I think the other two went to qualifiers yes but um, yeah. was on their 100 years because I think this year will Centa- be yeah. the, uh, centenary yeah, 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 so yeah. it would be a great story imagine they go to the final of Tassel Portugal and they qualify directly for the for for the Champions Ooh. League that would be um, a nice ending just two two things for people to keep an eye on Braga there is two kids that they will be absolutely incredible. One played against Nacional, which is Bruno Rodrigues, which is a centre-back, which is, I, I think, has, for me already, is better than Silva and Roland, because, uh, like we spoke last week, I have a big problem with their, with their centre-backs. And Zé Castro. Zé Castro? I think it's Zé Castro. Or Zé Carlos. No, I don't know the last name. But right back, uh, they played against Roma, and it's going to be a very, very good play as well. Looking forward to seeing how how both of those uh, develop. The the one that you mentioned there, uh, Rodriguez, he is he how how old is he? Did you say is he nineteen or twenty? He's nineteen. Nineteen. He's, he's uh, so young. As well. Sort of yeah, especially after losing another young centre back in David Carmo. So and now that's another thing as well. I forgot to mention the Santa Clara match. How good did that yeah. sound? We posted a video on, on the Prossima Jornada Twitter of the third goal, the Santa Clara third goal, uh, Carlos Jr. And the fans, they had fans in the stadium. So for those that aren't aware, Santa Clara, isn't they're not located on mainland Portugal. They're one of the islands, the Azores. And they had, they've had really, really low um, COVID cases. Uh, so they've sort of implemented getting back to normal a little bit quicker than obviously mainland Portugal has and they haven't they haven't suffered with it as badly and there was fans in the stadium separate you know socially distant seating or what have you but it was just it was just amazing not hearing fake crowd noise I like to watch the games personally if they offer it without the stadium without the the fake crowd noise I like to hear like the players but just hearing real fans cheer and sort of that that little pause before the ball hits the back of the net, before the fans actually know that it's went in. And just hearing that, it was just little things like that. Like, I cannot wait for... Yeah. For, um, you never... know, I, I wrote down about that game, just 924 lucky people. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's just that's it. the luckiest of them all. The last time I watched a... A match with a full crowd was this time yesterday, last year, a year ago yesterday, Everton Manchester United in the league, and they um, it came up yesterday on like my feed like one year ago, and I've, that was the last time I was. I've been to games since um, for like it in in Portugal. I've been to international games and stuff, but as like um, press, I. 
although it's good being inside the stadium, there's not nothing beats being in a in a ground with crowd atmosphere. So yeah, I think that's nice. That's a nice, uh, nice little story. And they got a three 0 win against a team that we've spoke so highly of um, recently. The three um, nil, and it was a very very good performance. They two goals I think in the first half and then one in the second half and yeah they just play well they've frustrated Passos throughout the entire game and they um, they Passos had chances and they had they completely dominated the, the ball I think they had over 60% possession 17 shots but Santa Clara they got themselves into a lead and they defended well and earned themselves a clean sheet so fantastic great to see fans back and yeah, I just can't wait until we start seeing it both in mainland Portugal and, and around the world, rest of the world. So yeah, we'll move on to the uh, another game at the top, uh, Benfica. They got back to winning ways. They got the two goals. They dominated the ball. They had more chances. The goals were uh, Seferovic and, and Bizi who came off the bench. To score two players who have come under a lot of criticism recently for Benfica, both Seferovic and Pizzi. So, two goals for, for, for those players who may have been a little bit frustrated recently, as the whole team have been, and as Jorge Jesus has been. And Pizzi went from you know, he's usually an automatic starter, he was on the bench, he came on, looked like he had a point to prove when he came on. I don't know about you, but it seen that way to me um, played with a lot more purpose so maybe that was a, a bit of a master talk from, from JJ putting him on the bench and, and bringing him in yeah uh, uh, again clean sheets for me tactical wise was the game that I enjoyed to watch the most this weekend mm-hmm. and I'm going to try to be very very concise especially for the first half so Bifika played uh, in a 4-4-2 but it was different because Weigel was behind um, Taraba for the first half and then what Bifika tried to do in the first half was trying to press the centre-backs. So the two strikers would pick up the two centre-backs. And Ihuab was able always to come out and play because there was a 3v2 in the middle. So against Tarabat and Weigl, it was Filipe Augusto, Pelé and Geraldes, which meant Rafa, which he played on the right-hand side. He would try to stay in the middle. So Ihuab, what he did, what they did really well was the ball would go to their left-back which meant Savio, which meant Rafa would have to come from the middle to press him, which would leave then an option in the middle for Chico Gerals to pick up the ball between the, the spaces and then switch to the other side where Mané, Costinha, the fullback would go up and they would create danger. In the first half, I think Ruav was, was um, on top in terms of the game and they played really, really well. And they were always coming out the same way. So strikers would press the centre-backs, Centre-backs would play always with the keeper to have an extra man. Ball to the full-back. Full-back would give the ball to one of the centre-mids. Centre-mid would play to Gerald. Gerald would switch the ball to the other side and it would be a 4v4 to the back four of, of Benfica. Then in the second half, what Benfica did very well to, to then regain completely the balance of the game, which was obviously a JJ work, which was the, the strikers no longer picked up with the, with the centre-backs. They stayed a bit behind. But the distance was enough to make sure uh, the keeper from Rivav, Kezek, would not be able to be him starting the ball. So which meant Pelé would drop between the, tr- the two centre-backs, which meant in the middle was no longer 3v2, it would be a 2v2. So if he could allow the centre-backs to have the ball, ball would be played to the middle, 
and then there will be the trigger for Benfica winning the ball, and that's why they create so many chances where the two centre-backs from Huav were so far apart because they will win the ball and then quick try to, to feed the, the Seferovic. And then a player that so far was not being um, good enough, uh, Everton, for me so far from the games I've seen with Benfica was no doubt his best game. But tactically was was a good game to watch. In terms of going forward, we've spoken a bit about Braga, we've spoken about uh, Porto, and we've spoken obviously about Sporting. In terms of about you think the teams will start improving and putting together better results towards this back end of the season, especially with uh, the Europa League now um, now longer a factor, both both as you say, Benfica and Braga are out of the competition. Uh, Benfica have got some tricky fixtures. There's a real fixture which sticks out in my mind. I know you're probably thinking it's the uh, well. There's two fixtures to be honest. They've got to play Porto, and uh, that's at home. And then two games later, they're at home again. This time to Sporting. So two very very. Um, very tough fixtures, and also they play Braga away. So, in terms of the team with probably the most difficult running, <laughs> is um is more or less uh, Benfica. This win against Chioav puts them back. Um, it's their first win since the win against Estoril in the cup, which seems so long ago now. Uh, that shows you how long they've sort of went on this bit of a barren run. Do you see them towards the end of the season now picking up points and being a bit more? ruthless now they haven't got Europe to contend with yeah to be honest I think the game that will define the, se- the season so f- uh, till the end will be the Benfica Braga game because I, against Turil they're already on the next on the final because they won 3-1 away so I don't think that'll be a big problem then they have Bolognese away then they play Bonvista at home and then they play Braga if Braga and Benfica win all their games I think that game will be the decisive factor because right now there's a difference of four, four points. If then Braga wins against Pefica, I think they'll be done for the second place as well. So I think that will be, be the big game. But I don't think uh, Jesus now is a bad manager. I think everything he done was, was good and he's still a good manager. I think for COVID, for uh, playing so many times, for players not... Uh, I don't know, that's been saying that players are a bit sick of it, of him, but by the way he is. I don't, I don't know, but I think with time to work, I think he's still one of the top coaches. So I don't see why the team would not improve. Even though there's still problems there, I think still the centre mids don't really work together. I don't think there's a duo they really enjoys in the centre mid. I think Weigel and Taravat... I don't think he particularly likes those two together. I don't think he likes Weigel and Gabriel. I don't think he likes Gabriel and Taravat. I think Pizzi no longer is able to play that centre-mid role as the full match. I think he's much more play or playing the midfield three or playing from the right-hand side. But then he moves Rafa. So there's still a lot of questions. But I, I think they will improve. I don't think they will lose silly points like they've been doing so far. So I don't see them dropping points against teams like Moreirense, like Ferenc, like they did, uh, I think will be in the big games. But then in the big games, I still think Braga can still, because he's at Braga as well, so if he will need to go there and win, I, I, I believe Braga are able to, to play better than Befica. But in terms of performances, there's no reason why they will not improve. Spot on. Yeah, I think, 
again, it just goes back to what we were talking about last week. We spoke a lot about the relegation battle and about those teams that have been caught up in it. I think it was nice this week to just speak more about what we think is going to happen in the next couple of weeks and months at the top of the league because it is, I keep saying, it is so incessant. I think it's real mixed up this season, especially having someone you know, top of the league who in recent years haven't been there and then your Champions League battle is um is very is very uh, very entertaining as well. Your Europa League, you've got the likes of Patrick Ferreira up there as well. So yeah. We we mentioned before, you mentioned the player there, um Francisco Geraldes. Just off topic but more of a news item. Did you and did the people listening, did you see the news about his um his surfboard. His surfboard, yeah. His surfboard. And I think, honestly, so for those for those who aren't aware, his um his car was broken into and it had a surfboard in. Francisco Giraldes one is just just such an amazing person off the football <laughs> field. Like he we posted recently he started a book club. Um as with in, in connection with the departments of education, I think in Portugal, who he basically will talk through different um, books that he likes, why he likes them, and he's sort of glorifying. You know, he's a footballer. He's a he's a he's such a that, nice guy. Yeah, you know, I, one kids one day I, I I saw him and I went to see a, a game with with a few friends when I was in Portugal, and he was playing at the time. I think he was playing at Moreirense. So, and Moreirense had the game and he just went to, well, he had the game like a day before and just went to see a sporting game as well in the stadium. And at the end, he was just taking the the metro and like taking pictures with everyone. Yeah. And just think about like another footballer who just go to watch, even though he's his team, because I think he's a sporting fan, but just go and watch a game and then take the metro home. Do you imagine yeah. that in London? Yeah, now, <laughs> that, that's what I mean. Well, well so basically, he... Um... He, his surfboard got stolen out of his car but it, the comments that he made after it on his Instagram story I made a note of them because I think they're just such an indication of, of the type of person that he is and um, he, he said um, <laughs> one of the things he, because obviously at the moment it's pretty strictly locked down and there it is he said uh, you thieves breached lockdown rules I think it's unfair <laughs> On all the other thieves who are sticking to the lockdown restrictions, uh, some can steal and others can't. And then, even better than that, he posted, um, he said, but on a serious note, um, if this was done, meaning the, the, the robbery, if this was done out of extreme necessity, either to pay bills for medicine or to provide food for your family, I ask you, please contact me directly. Um, you'll hardly be able to sell it. I've he'd already sort of identified that it. it's half white, half green. I think it's got his name on as well. Um, so he said, contact me. You won't be able to sell it, and I pledge, I pledge to help you with whatever you need. And I, 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 I just thought like, in a time like this, and things like this do happen, and it it is unfortunate, and whether it be for the right reason or for the wrong reason, but the fact that. Something that he'd love. I mean, he posted a video on his Instagram with the song "Goodbye My Lover" in the background. Like he took it on the chin. He took it like he took it well. He clearly meant a lot to him as well. He posted videos of him like using it and stuff, and he's like he's an avid surfer. But the fact that he's like, oh, you know, but seriously, 
and he, he's not too concerned about the return of the surfboard in that instance. It's more, you know, if this was done because you needed to pay for bills or whatever. He, and I think a quote I missed out there as well. He said, um, you know, you can always contact me. If you're ever that desperate, let me know. And that's, I just think that that was nice. I mean, it's not football related, but I wanted to give him a shout out for that because... He's a um, yeah, he's a hero, and I think I've really enjoy. I've really been enjoying the the book club videos. To be honest, I was watching the one the other day. He was talking about of mice and men, which anyone in England who's listening will know that is a real um, secondary school, high school <laughs> classic uh, of mice and men, John Steinbeck. But um, yeah, I I, I just. And it's helping me learn my Portuguese as well, um, listening to him talking about <laughs> literature. So, yeah, he's a top guy. I thought he deserved some... some yeah, um, fair play. Yeah, and he he's... And on, on top of that, of he's a great player as well. Week. Yes, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, moving on to the Portuguese abroad, as usual, there were a whole host of Portuguese talents um, putting on great performances across Europe. And I want to start off with a player in La Liga and a player who caused a bit of a stir with his celebration, and that was Joao Felix. He came off the bench for Atletico Madrid and scored against Villarreal and celebrated by putting his finger to his lips and shushing and also shouting some uh, Portuguese expletives, which I won't repeat on this podcast. Um, but I, I posted up the the celebration, and it, it, a lot of people online were commenting on who it was possibly directed to, whether it was towards Diego Simeone or it was whether it was towards somebody else. And then it came to light that it was actually aimed at Renan Lodi, his teammate, and very, very, um, very intriguing celebration. Uh, as I say, he looked very frustrated. He didn't celebrate his goal with any any real joy. It was it looked like a mix of frustration and and anger, and that's possibly a little bit of a factored in from his his previous month. Uh, he'd went a month without scoring. He was um, poorly used, in my opinion, in the Champions League game, where he against Chelsea, where he was. Acting on, he was being used almost as a wing back, which is not what you want from Joao. And then, yeah, this goal, it was a fantastic goal, first and foremost. He celebrated. And then Renan Lodi posted on his Instagram um, to give a bit of insight into what the uh, celebration was about. And that was, he playfully told Joao that he needs to. Um, improve on his recent performances when he enters the field obviously they were both on the bench so they must have had a little bit of a chat on the bench um how playful it was i don't know but then he's went onto the field he scored and then actually renan lodi posted the celebration on his instagram and said um with the caption you said you would do it and then you did it and we are together brother and then joao sort of reposted it uh, not surprisingly, Diego Simeone, who was uh, never the plastic character himself, came out after it and said, I love the players who rebel and who are strong. That's what we need. Um, so taking the positives from the celebration, that it was a show of uh, determination and character. But great to see Joao back amongst the goals. He started off the season so promisingly and then uh, was out of the side uh, with injury 
and then sort of took him a little while to, to find his feet again uh, in the last couple of weeks and months. But as I say, started the season, he was a main one of the main reasons for, for Atleti's obtaining form. You know, they're still top of the league. Uh, it's very feasible that he could end the season as La Liga champion. So just hoping that he continues to perform and continue to score towards the end of the season. As far as the Champions League is concerned, that may well all be done after um, the Chelsea game, which I thought they just got completely wrong, to be honest. Um, completely dominated by Chelsea. And I say, I posted something online with his heat map and his uh, statistics from the night, his touches and stuff. And obviously there was a bit of people finger-pointing towards Joao himself, but I felt like in a game like that, it was very difficult for him to do anything other than the putting the performance he put in. But that's just my um, my my perspective. Philippe, what do you make of it? And what do you make of Joao's season? First of all, the celebration is, if uh, Lodi was playful, I don't think his uh, Felix celebration was very playful. So I think there's <laughs> a, a, mis- <laughs> a, a misunderstanding there yeah. between those two. About uh, Felix, like especially on social media, people speak about if she should go on st- or stay. I think that's a bit of a, a stupid argument because he's not going to go anywhere right now because Athletic is not going to take a loss on 120 million euros. So I think that's pointless to, to argue. My point, and I, that's a question that I'd like to ask you and, and to everyone that follows uh, João Felix's career is... is if him going to Athletic is a bad decision or was a good decision. And the second question is, if you think he's gonna, he, he will be a better player because of the time he spent with Simeon, or this will make him a worse player? In my view, I think it was not the right decision, but I don't think any problem on him learn something that in another club you will not be able to learn. Because a player like him... In Benfica, and all the time he was growing up with, he didn't have these questions from any manager of having to defend, of having closed down the space. And I think for his future and for his understanding of the game, I think will only make him a better player. In terms of his season, it's it's hard because he, when he comes on, you can see how good he is and how good he can affect the game. I think after the COVID, is it took a, he's still taking a bit of time to get to the same level as before. But it's not only on him, on so many players we have seen this. And then I have a stat that shows that maybe keep him in the bench and bring him on is not a bad thing. Because, and uh, now if any uh, big followers of John Felix just uh, put mute for, for uh, 10 seconds, the 88.9% of his wins came him as a sub and 50% as a starter. So you can see how important he is when he comes into the match because he has an impact or because he the team the Athletic Madrid players are defending deep so he needs to be in those pockets of space and create something from, from nothing or because the team is already high on the pitch so it's easy for him to, to play through balls. But then nine of his ten goals came from him as a starter so it's it's hard to, to argue that everyone expected so much more and I think that's his problem. Everyone expected the João Félix that we've seen in Benfica and especially the João Félix we've seen in the 7-3 of Atlético against Real Madrid for the for a friendly game last summer, not this summer, the summer before. And 
is 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 hard. is is a bit uh, of a weird situation because I don't think he's been doing terribly bad. Uh, but in the games that he doesn't perform, I don't think is his fault because, like I said, he's not really not played in his best position or with the best role they can can give for for the team. But for the future, I think this spell at Atletico, and especially with Simeon, will make him a better player because I think we'll make him Spot see the on. game in a different way. When you said that, then I can I was nodding in agreement. So I completely agree. The whether you think it was a, the right move or not, I do again one hundred percent agree in terms of what you can learn. And I actually, it was last season when Atleti played Liverpool in the Champions League, and. I put something out, it might have been an article, it might have been a thread on Twitter, about his average touches per match the previous season when he was at Benfica in terms of what he was doing with the ball and his efficiency on the ball. And in the Liverpool game in the Champions League, when Atletico went through, and he was so instrumental in terms of the touches that he had on the ball and then his pass accuracy and then it was the key passes and chances created and it just seemed like he was doing a lot a lot more with a lot less to work with and I think that comes that'll be something that he takes with him when he goes to when if he moves to another club is that because he's had to rely on having the ball a lot less he has to make more intelligent runs. He has to do more with the ball when he's at his feet. And Benfica coming through as a young player in in games where they were likely had 60-65% of the possession. He can try and dribble into perhaps the wrong area or lose the ball and know that Benfica will win it back within a couple of seconds, if not a minute or two. Um, they will restart, move through midfield and he will once again get the ball and he gets another chance sometimes for Atletico he might not touch the ball for five six minutes and in a 90 minute game that seems like a very long time but that's just the way it is in that Chelsea game it was exactly the same and when he did get it he wasn't in the right areas because of where he was on the pitch but I feel like yeah I totally agree with you on that point he will take that with him his efficiency will improve in terms of his his productivity will definitely go through the roof and he'll do more with less and then if he goes to a team that always has the ball and has you know a lot of possession, it's like it'd be like every day is Christmas for him because he 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 he'll be so happy to 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 be on the ball and be able to to do so much more. Um, but while he has the ball, he won't be as wasteful as he would have been had he went from Benfica straight to uh, another team that are very heavy on possession. So yeah, very good point. Was the right move, you know? But the, at the end of the day, that's all. That's all just words now because he, he he's done it. He's moved. He's went with that price tag and he's on that contract. So for the foreseeable future, he's an athletic commentator player. So he needs to work on trying to implement himself into whatever Simeone, whatever system Simeone sees fit. He can't dictate that. Um, obviously, nobody wants to see him playing like he did the other day in the Champions League, but. Overall, he's still very, very young. He's still an unbelievable player, and I say that I maintain that he is, you know, on his day, he's just a joy to watch. One of my favorite players in the world. He's one of my favorite players in the world to watch, but by far, um, and yeah, I just want to see him happy and playing his best football because when he's on it, he's frightening. He's absolutely frightening. So yeah, very. And do you know, 
Do you know who should be really happy about be, him being uh, with Simeon? Is Fernand Sanz. Yes. <laughs> to yeah, be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pragmatic. Uh, yeah, and, <laughs> and he will understand all the moments of, of the game when he goes to the slice zone and understands in the moments that he need to defend and will be not happy to do it, but he'll, he'll be used to do it. Yeah. You be, I mean, you become a more refined player, don't you? Because you, you're used to doing... The player that works in load in like lots of different systems and is used to doing lots of different roles, um, it's still not going to take anything away from what he's good at because when he goes back to that role and he has that freedom and he has the possession and he's in an attacking uh, role, he still knows how to beat an opponent. So you just got to think that he's learning his trade. Uh, he's learning some of their elements that you may not get anywhere else. Diego Simeone's style of football is very unique, to say the least. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, again, you can't go back and, and sort of um, rewrite history. He's there, so he's just got to make the most of this experience. Yeah. And then if he gets the chance to leave, he gets the chance to go to someone like a Manchester City or somebody who's got the financial muscle to be able to um, give Atleti at least what they pay back. Because, <laughs> as you say before, they're not... They know they won't be willing to take a loss on him at all. And now, just going over lastly to Jose Font, he scored the equaliser in a 1 1 draw with Strasbourg for Lille. It's his second goal in two games. He's become somewhat of a marksman um, getting up there for Lille. And it, it helped him stay two points clear of Paris Saint Germain. So it, was, it would have been obviously a point. So he, he salvaged his team a point there. Um, and it was right near the end as well I think 86, 87th minute and we spoke a lot about Lille and about that Portuguese influence, Renato Sanchez, Cheche Diago Dallo uh, and Jose Font and we mentioned about towards the end of the season you always see a team like Paris Saint-Germain putting together a run and inevitably taking the title so just an update on that they're now 27 games in I think when we first spoke about it they were maybe 21 or 22 games they've still got that two point gap they've still only lost twice in the league Paris Saint-Germain have lost six times um, so I think 17 goals conceded is just is remarkable considering they've played 27 games uh, it's the least uh, in the league nobody's conceded less and um, funnily enough they've only scored 47 which I find, I mean, if you look at second place, Paris Saint-Germain have scored 61, Lyon have scored 55, Es Monaco have scored 56. Uh, so all the teams in the European places have all scored more, but it is Lille who are top of the league. Philippe, you actually said a couple of weeks ago you think it's one of the best stories in European football at the moment, and then it was, you, it was tinged a little bit when you said you thought that um, inevitably... Paris Saint-Germain will come good. Is just uh, is that still your opinion after twenty-seven games? Do you still stand by that? Yes, so so sad to say so, but yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> even Paris Saint-Germain losing against Monaco last week and Lille won, but then the week after they they draw this game, and it's like two points. I don't think will be enough, and I think it's tomorrow. Tomorrow Wednesday they will have a, a big game against uh, Marseille, which mm-hmm. is trying to go back in some kind of form but yeah unfortunately it's the type of thing that I feel 
will be inevitable. I think Paris Saint-Germain will start winning games and, and, and Lille will have, not losing, but these draws, the draws they'll, they'll cost them. them. Yeah, because... Yeah. But, we're, yeah, so sad. I'm still uh, all for Lille. I draw attention it. to um, a fixture on the 4th of April, and that is Paris Saint-Germain, Lille, <laughs> in, in Paris. So, yeah, massive game there. They, Lille actually go on... A really difficult run after that. They've they've got Paris Saint Germain, and then a couple of weeks later they've got Lyon away, and then just really quickly to finish off, moving over to England, Wolves against Manchester City tonight, uh, eleven v 11, 22 players on the pitch. When the game started, eight of the players were Portuguese, uh, from tonight's game, which was just absolutely incredible to see, um, and I actually just drawing attention to the fact it would create one hell of an eight aside team um, I wouldn't like to come up against them in a in a in an eight aside game on the AstroTurf Chruv Patricio in goal Chruven Diaz João Cancelo and Nelson Semedo at the back Chruven Neves João Matinho and then Bernardo Silva and Pedro Neto as the forwards slash wingers absolutely frightening and what then more team. oh and then more players came off the bench uh, the likes of Fabio Silva uh, the game was very entertaining uh, to watch in terms of Manchester City, as usual, had all of the ball. Ruben Diaz was, again, uh, fantastic. He His passing, especially in the first half, I think he ended the half with 100% pass accuracy. And he wasn't just playing the simple side-to-side uh, or backwards passes to back to Edison. He was um, trying to look forward and trying to get City off the pitch. And then Joel Cancelo was his... His magnificent best. Uh, they ended up winning the game four one. When after Connor Cody's equaliser, it looked like it was. It didn't look like it was going to end up as a draw because you always know Manchester City have got that in them to to um, to put together a real assault in the last 20-25 minutes. But yeah, it ended up four one. Two of the goals came after ninety minutes. Um, so a little bit harsh on 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 Nuno's in Nuno's men in terms of the scoreline, but then in terms of the actual dominance of City, um, you know it's, it's 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 one of those things you can't um, lose concentration. Nuno said after it, he was really disappointed with in particular the third and the fourth goal. Um, you end the game two one at the Etihad. That's quite a respectable result. Man City are just on a freakish run at the minute. They're going twenty one wins now. In a row, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I th- think, I think, I, th- I think the record he broke today was the unbeaten record, actually, and I think that was twenty eight games. But <sighs> yeah, in terms of wins, is as is, is I think twenty one. Um, as I say, if if I'm wrong, I'm probably going to cut this out anyway. Um, right. So, Philippe, I want you to. T- you said at the start we're going to be playing a game each week, um, on the show. Let me know. And let the people at home know, because I've been waiting all episodes to find out what this game is. And what is this game? Give us a rundown on it. What's it called? I know you've been excited about the name. <laughs> yes. First of all, great. First of all, now this will be the moment of the podcast every week. The okay. game of the show is Prossima Jornada Predictions, which is an amazing name. <laughs> but if anyone has a better idea on a name... Please put on the comments. So the game is very, very simple. Every week I'm going to bring three games for being in Portugal or abroad where Portuguese players are involved. Me and you and everyone that is listening to the podcast, 
will say the result. So let's say first game will be Sporting against Santa Clara. If you think Sporting wins, you're going to say 1. If you think is a draw, will be an X. And if you think Santa Clara win because they are away team, will be a 2. If you get it right, I'm going to count as a point. End of the season, we'll see between me and you and everyone that wants to play the game have the most number of points. Every week, I'll check out on the Twitter, and Aaron checks out on Twitter, and we see the person with the most number of points, so three out of three, let's say, and I'll give a shout-out of our King Predictor. Ah. Understand the rules? Okay, yeah, I like that. I like the... Um... Cool. The fan, the fan involvement, the support involvement as well. So, yes. yeah, you get a shout-out from Philippe if you can... Uh... Great stuff, and that's the highest of the week. You can tell your friends, your kids, your family. Go for it. Right, what so games are you ready? for us? Yeah, yeah, go This on. week's game, first one, like I said, Sporting against Santa Clara. What do you think? One, X or two? Uh, and Sporting at home? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sporting win. So is Good. that one? Yes, I'll say yeah. one as well. Okay. Then second game will be the game of the weekend, in my view. Braga against Guimarães. Oh, the derby. The menial derby. Uh, I'm going to go with, yeah, one, Braga. I'll go actually with an X. I think Braga will be too tight from the cup game midweek. Then last one will be, we're going to England. For the Midlands derby. Is Midlands derby? Yeah. Wolves Villa. Yes, Villa against yes. Wolves. Yes, okay. One oh, yeah, two. Villa Villa against Wolves. Sorry, yeah, it's at Villa Park, isn't it? Yeah, Villa Park. Um, ooh. I think Villa are without Grealish. So... No, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go against the Portuguese contingent. I'm gonna go with uh, a Villa. I'm gonna go with uh, one. Shocking! I'll go. Actually, I put one first, but then you remind me that Grealish is not playing, so I changed for two. <laughs> okay, so I've went for three home wins. You went for three home wins. I went for one home win, a draw, and away uh, win. <laughs> You've covered all bases. <laughs> yes, to make sure tough. Probably I'll get one right. So, if you want to play this game as well. Put on Twitter, obviously before the games, no cheats to put after, we'll know. And we'll see at the end of the season who which one has the most number of points. Okay, okay. I hope Lovely. loads of participation of this amazing game. Yeah, well, they will be. Um, that's fantastic work. And, and that name again, Prossimo Jornada Predicts. So, yeah, I don't think you need to change the name. I think that's a wonderful name. That's great, um, isn't it? So, yeah. I like the uh, alliteration on uh, Prosimer and Predicts. From uh, a former English uh, university student, <laughs> that really appeals to me. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that that's pretty much it. I mean, we've that wraps us up. Thank you for listening to episode number six of the Portuguese Football Podcast. Remember uh, to join in with uh, Philippe's game, Prosimer and Predicts. Get involved on Twitter. Um, send your messages in, leave comments where you can. As usual, if you've enjoyed the podcast and you've listened to it on Apple Podcasts, um, give it a like, give it a star rating, give it a review, um, share it with a friend, retweet, whatever, all of that stuff. Help to spread it. Uh, so it's really good to see every week as well. We see the chart, um, the worldwide chart, the podcast chart, and the different countries. And this week we were in the top 50 in France. And we were also in Switzerland 
and we were also in Cyprus. We I think we were like thirtieth in Cyprus or something. So we're entering Big community fan in Cyprus. Yeah, we're, we're we're entering the chart in lots and lots of different countries. So it's great to see it's not just people based um, in Portugal. It's not just people based in England or United States or Canada, where a lot of our Twitter following comes from. It's actually people from all around the world. So keep listening, keep sharing, um, and we'll see you again next week for episode number seven. See you next week. Thank you.